Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our current sermon series is The Church Your New Pastor Deserves. The title of Dr. Dorsch's sermon today is More by Its Spirit Than Its Success. The big idea is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst keeps us from having room for other attitudes and emotions that threaten our well-being. Over the coming Sundays, I'm going to be speaking with you about my vision for the church going forward long after I have transitioned. And today I would like to share with you my prayer for the church that this church always be defined more by its spirit than by its success, more by its spirit, God's spirit, the spirit of Christ at work among us, more than by any success that we could bring about. As you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter. I'll begin reading with the 24th verse, where Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, offers this teaching. When an evil spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. May God add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. Some years ago, Harvard Medical School psychologist Stephen Burgless wrote a book titled The Success Syndrome. The Success Syndrome, some of you may be familiar with it. The thesis that Burgless outlined was that Success, at least as we define it in our culture today, is a two-edged sword. On one hand, it's a great blessing. It's wonderful to be perceived as a successful person, and it's even more wonderful when you yourself perceive you to be a success. But on the other hand, as Burgless reminds us, Once you begin going down that path where success in life is your primary obsession, you can never get enough. There is always the pressure that you're under to come up with a greater success, a success that moves you even higher up the ladder that you may be Climbing, And so what was the remedy that Burgless offered in his book? Interesting, interestingly enough, from a psychologist, out of all places, Harvard, Burgless contended that in order to experience true success in life, and by that he meant a success that does not leave you empty, craving even more, you have to find in your heart a deep commitment. He even says a religious activity 
something that is not tied to traditional metrics of power and prestige and possessions, something more transcendent, something from beyond yourself, something that we as people of faith would contend ultimately comes from our connection with God, which is how Jesus always viewed the successes that he experienced in his own ministry and the view that Jesus would offer to his disciples that they might come to experience meaning in the ministry to which he was calling them. Jesus' contention was that unless in our walk with God we are filled with God's Spirit, we fall prey to the possibility of evil spirits taking over and assuming control of aspects of our lives where God is not in charge. We see that in this passage of scripture that I've read for you this morning from the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel where Jesus is instructing his disciples and Luke tells us there's a big crowd that has gathered. It's an Easter Sunday crowd. The crowd is so big that people are trampling over one another to hear what Jesus is talking about with his disciples. And suddenly, Luke tells us Jesus performs one of the healing miracles that would signify how the power of God, the power of the kingdom of God had come to dawn in him and through him, Jesus healed a man with an unclean spirit, an impure spirit, an evil spirit that had left the man speechless. Luke tells us that when Jesus drove out that demon and the man began talking, the crowd was amazed. And they didn't know how to wrap their minds around what they had just witnessed. They made an assumption. This man, speaking of Jesus, has cast out this demon by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. It never dawned on the crowd that Jesus would have been able to do such a thing because of how the power of God was at work in him. And so Jesus corrects their misunderstanding. If by the prince of demons I cast out demons, that absolutely makes no sense. Kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That was Jesus who taught that. Abraham Lincoln got his inspiration from Jesus, at which point Jesus reinforces his message of how if evil spirits find an unoccupied soul, they will enter in and take control of that soul. Instead, we must always in our walk with God make sure that every nook and cranny of our being is yielded to him, to his presence, to his power. Jesus tells 
the parable of an unclean spirit that when driven out of a person goes through arid places looking for some place to land, to rest, and finding none decides, I'll go back. I'll go back to the place from which I left. And when the spirit goes back, Jesus tells us, what does the spirit find? Appearances can be deceiving. The house is swept and it's put in order. and Everything looks hunky-dory, just right. And the spirit enters into that unoccupied space. There's nothing there. And not only does that spirit re-enter into that soul, it brings other spirits with it, seven other spirits, and they all live in that unoccupied space. And Jesus says, don't you understand the condition of that person at the last is worse than what it was before? You, you've heard the saying, nature abhors a vacuum, you've heard that saying. It is even more true, according to Jesus, that the human soul abhors a vacuum. We do not like emptiness. When there are spaces in our souls, we will seek to fill them. And we will seek to fill them with that which is either good or evil. And if we are lax in our commitment or we assume that everything's going okay and we do not make the conscious choice to yield those empty spaces to God, then what happens is that we fall prey to evil. And before we know it, it is too late. Our condition then is worse than it's ever been. Better for us to make sure that our souls are yielded entirely, completely, totally to the Spirit of God. Uh, that's true for individuals, and I would contend this morning, it's also true for congregations. It's also true for congregations. Otherwise, whether you're speaking of an individual or whether you're speaking of a congregation, we put ourselves in a place where we are in danger of experiencing the worst kind of success syndrome, where on the outside, everything looks good. But on the inside, if God is not in control, we are in serious danger. This weekend, not only are we observing the dedication of our Bible, and in a moment, I'm going to invite those of you who will be able to join us out on Montevallo Road where we will display 
an historical marker. We will unveil it. People driving up and down Montevallo Road will be able to recognize the significance of this exemplary church, which for, as of last Sunday, 77 years has been offering a faithful witness for Christ to this community and to this world. And when you speak of people in this community and in this world, about Mountain Brook Baptist Church, the first thing in their minds is, that's a great church. That's a successful church. And you look at the history of this church, and there is no doubt that if any congregation could laud its successes, think of what we could laud here in this Mountain Brook Baptist Church. We have reached so many people over those 77 years. We have started new churches in our community, two of them, and around the world. We have raised money that would make other congregations jealous. We have built these beautiful buildings, not just the sanctuary that was Dr. Nelson's vision, but Hudson Hall and the church offices and other places in this church that was Dr. Moby's vision. We could go on and on lauding the successes of our church, but if we do not see that all of those successes took place not because we're smart people, which we are, or we're affluent people, which we are. Or we're positioned people in this community and beyond, which we are. Unless we see that whatever success has come, not just to this congregation, but through this congregation, because of our openness to the Spirit of God in our midst, Brothers and sisters, the future is not as bright as it can be, as we want it to be, as I pray for it to be, as Jesus needs it to be. Have you ever thought about what would happen to a church if the Spirit of God were taken away? You say something like that will never exist. Well, God would never arbitrarily or without reason remove his spirit from any congregation. And yet in the book of Revelation, I'm mindful of what the spirit says to the church at Ephesus. You remember that. I laud you, I applaud you, I commend you for your hard work and your perseverance. The spirit says, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And unless you go back, you repent and turn back and do those things that you were doing at first. What does the Spirit say? I will come and remove my lampstand from that place. What happens to a church when the Spirit of God departs? Well, let me tell you. If it's a well-resourced church and it's populated by imaginative, 
talented, creative people, and they got a lot of good programs and a lot of fun activities planned, then for a while, that church will continue to be able to function, but only for a while. Only for a while. It's like an electric fan that when it's unplugged, the blades continue to spin, but without the power, at some point, the blades cease spinning. It can happen. And it's tragic when it does. My freshman year at college, I found the Baptist Student Union. Now, some of you have no idea what Baptist Student Union is. They call it Baptist Campus Ministries. Now, in my day, it was BSU. And it was a ministry to college students that was supported by the Alabama Baptist State Convention. And I found my way to the BSU, and I had to find it because in those days, on most campuses, Baptist Student Union buildings were connected to local congregations. Doesn't matter what college or university you attended, chances are your BSU building would be attached to a local church. It was the state convention's way of reminding college students that BSU wasn't your church. You needed to be a part of a church. Well, it's the college that I attended the year before I arrived, the church cast out the BSU ministry. On a Monday morning, the campus minister came to his offices and the locks had been changed. Imagine, what, what, what did those students do? The Sunday night before, there was an African student who had attended a BSU fellowship. Now remember, this was the 1970s. It was an African student who had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the work of Southern Baptist missionaries. And had been looking for a group of students to connect with just like this boy who had come to faith in Jesus Christ at an Alabama Baptist church. But the deacons didn't like the appearances. Felt this was going in the wrong direction. And the next day, the locks were changed. Students were displaced. That's how things worked in the 1970s. I am pleased to tell you that since that time, the church, that church has repented has seen the error of their ways, and I'm sure if you were to go there today, you would see a very different picture of how that congregation feels inspired to minister to everyone, everyone, regardless of race, color, or creed. But you can imagine the devastation that took place among those college students when I got there a year later. The group was meeting in the student union building on campus. And I could tell that there was a pall that had come over the students, but as a way for them to rise above their disillusionment, 
and their despair and their sense of uncertainty about the future after every gathering, whether it was a Bible study or the BSU choir, and yes, I was in the BSU choir, we would circle up and we would hold hands. And there was an old song that had been written by an African-American songwriter around that time, Doris Acker. I bet you know the song. There's a sweet, sweet spirit. It was in our 93 Baptist hymnal. There's a sweet, sweet spirit. We would hold hands and call upon the presence of God's spirit. Sweet Holy Spirit. Sweet Heavenly Dove. Stay right here with us, filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt, we know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. I'm going to ask Kelly to come. Some of you know this song. I want us to sing it right now and to sing it with conviction as a testimony to our belief. We must be ever open to God's Holy Spirit's presence. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each this Mountain Brook Baptist Church as we move forward into the good future that God has for us to know that this church will forever be so filled with God's Holy Spirit. There will never be any space for evil to find rest. Which then will result in the sort of successes that in God's eyes ultimately matter. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you 
for your Holy Spirit's presence and what you are capable of doing in the hearts and lives of those who yield themselves completely to you. We thank you for the power of your grace that cast out all evil from us and provides us in its place fulfillment and abundance that we never dreamed possible. Help us in all things to continue to look to you and to be yielded to you that people may see our good works, yea, even our successes, and glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. So we pray in Jesus' name and for our sakes. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.